1984, John sent you to it no longer exists. No, this is all wrong, right? John, John sent me here to save you. From the Terminator that was sent back to kill me, I know, but we already took care of him. We? You might have made them in a test tube, but they don't know that. They're thinking, I gotta eat, I gotta hunt. Congratulations, San Francisco! You've ruined pizza! First the Hawaiians, and now you! Chewy, we're home. From Tuscaloosa, Alabama, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. Welcome to episode 116 of Aspect Radio. We are knee-deep in summer 2015, and we covered sort of the first third of it, I guess. They're about most of May, all of May and most of June. We stopped around Spy, and right before Jurassic World came out, and there's a lot that we've seen since then. So we'll catch up a little bit later, but there's a little bit of news that emerged on Tuesday of this week. We're recording on Wednesday, so it's still fresh on our minds when we've had a day to sort of digest it because it's big. All of these Star Wars standalone movies that have been rumored or announced have been enough to sort of get our juices flowing, but not until this week did they really sort of amp it up when they announced that the guys behind Lego Movie, the 21 Jump Street films, and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller will direct a new Star Wars standalone movie that is about young Han Solo. So this means that, A, we're getting another Star Wars movie that will serve as part of this anthology, and B, they're going to have to cast, or recast rather, Han Solo, obviously popularized by Harrison Ford, who played him perfectly in the only way we know Han Solo to exist in the original trilogy in what will be at least one more film in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Now, our friend Ben Stark over at Film Nerds Unlimited and I talk about this in depth uh, in, in the latest episode of Film Nerds Unlimited, so I encourage you to go check that out because he and I are a little apprehensive about this news, and we think that while on paper, Lord and Miller attached to a Star Wars movie about one of the greatest characters in movie history in one of the greatest film franchises in movie history. On paper, it sounds great, but after having a few more hours to sort of digest and think about it, we thought maybe this doesn't sound like the best idea for a variety of reasons, plural. Corey, what do you think? Are you excited about this? Well, I I will say that this is about the only way that I could be interested in a Han Solo spinoff movie by casting these two guys to to helm it uh, because Lord and Miller are sort of the crown princes of taking ideas that seem unworkable or unwieldy or just plain bad and turning them in their past four features into something that not only works but works wonderfully. So if we're going to do a Han Solo movie, which on paper, honestly, is something I don't want at all, um, you know, you could do worse than getting these two guys to do it. That said, uh, I tend to agree with what uh, Ben Stark said yesterday uh, on his Twitter feed. I I saw him make a comment that um, personally... Uh, he would rather see something new, something original from Lord and Miller than see them sort of tied down to uh, a major franchise. And frankly, uh, that's sort of the line of thinking I've I've come uh, come into myself when it comes to most directors I like. Uh, you know, we had a couple weeks ago the rumor that uh, Selma director Ava DuVernay was being rumored to direct Marvel's Black Panther movie. Now, I love Black Panther. You and I were both big fans of Selma, and we we both think that Ava DuVernay uh, is an incredible talent. Um, I'm sure we're both looking forward to whatever it is she does next. I don't want that to be a Marvel movie. I want Ava DuVernay to do a new Ava DuVernay movie. I want uh, Lord and Miller to do something that, uh, you know, they're truly passionate about now now that being said um chris miller was an intern at ilm during the days of the star wars special editions um they worked in the star wars characters in their their lego movie so uh they're fans uh by all accounts this is something that they are excited to tackle um and again if we're going to have an unworkable idea brought to the big screen. These guys have a proven track record of doing it. But all that said, 
I want something original from them uh, more than I want this. And uh, I want, well, I don't really want this at all, <laughs> quite frankly. I, I don't either. And it starts with recasting Han Solo, which is, it seems like an impossible task. Yeah, it does. Harrison Ford is a once-in-a-generation talent, and it would be, again, impossible to find that again. Maybe they can, and we'll have to give them the benefit of the doubt and trust talented people like Lord and Miller. Now, I think the argument that you must make about these guys and how you and Stark and all these other folks would rather see them making original content is they've never done that. And they've been a part of franchises and adaptations in turning bad ideas into good ones with pre-existing properties throughout their entire careers. Well, so their far. features career. Well, well, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, here. I mean, if we so, go back to the genesis of, of sort of their creative careers, right. you know, their show Clone I, High. Clone High's great. I love yeah, it. It's, but, it's, it is great. But they seem to have found a wheelhouse that works for them and works for the studios that employ their talents. Sure. And they were attached to make a Flash movie, to yeah. produce a Spider-Man movie, to possibly make another 21 Jump Street film. So, Which I, would, I wouldn't I would mind that. Well, so it sounds like this is what they like to do. So if they can do it with all of those other properties, they can mm-hmm. probably do it with Star Wars 2. My problem, though, with these guys specifically, and not really a problem, it's more of a concern, because I, I trust these guys, and I think that they've earned that trust at yeah. this point. Tonally, they don't seem like the right guys to make a Star Wars movie because their meta humor, their snarky humor, their constant stream of sarcasm that has embodied what they have done up to this point does not seem to match that of what we've seen of the Star Wars film franchise so far. Now, we don't have any idea what the tone of these standalone movies will be, and maybe it will match up to what they have done so far. But if you were to ask me which really super talented directing team or director I would pick to make a young Han Solo movie or this blank Star Wars standalone, I don't think Lord and Miller are the guys I would immediately think of. I think they're adaptable, though. I think that uh, when uh, the chips fall, I think that they can make their style work with the you know the the feel of these Star Wars movies, I don't think that this Han Solo movie, when we finally see it, is going to feel anything uh, like the Lego movie or like the Jump Street movies. Um, uh, but I think these guys are talented enough to make their style work, uh, even within some pretty strict tonal parameters. I mean, a Star Wars movie has to look like and feel like and sound like. Uh, a Star Wars movie. Um, we presume. I mean, like you said, though, we've not seen one of these spinoffs yet. We haven't even seen uh, The Force Awakens yet. So we could be heading into a completely new age of totally new feeling Star Wars movies and not even know it yet. And J.J. Abrams is sort of already breaking those rules stylistically. It, it, it would appear. Now, what I like a lot about that Force Awakens trailer is that it, it feels like you know, a natural progression. It, it, it contains a lot of the, the classical uh, framing and style of the Star Wars trilogy uh, while sort of using some of the uh, tools of the 21st century and, and modern filmmaking uh, at its disposal. Um, so, but, but again, you know, we don't really know how, how any of this stuff is going to feel. I mean, Gareth Edwards, the director of uh, Star Wars anthology Rogue One or whatever its proper title is, is saying that his spinoff film, which will be the first, uh, is going to feel a lot like a war movie. Well, what is that going to be in the Star Wars universe? I don't know. Uh, how how literal should we take these directors? Um, uh, that being said, I, I guess I'm cautiously optimistic in the end about this because, uh, again, these guys are the, the crown prince of making unworkable premises work somewhat. Comedies. Let's let's specify that these guys are comedy directors and that this will be a departure. And Han Solo is a funny character at times, but that is a character that exists in the sort of dramatic and epic universe of the Star Wars saga. So they're going to have to really adapt, like you said, and they seem capable of doing that. Yeah. But And I think that their voice is going to be present and heard in whatever movie that they make. They're really going to have to stretch, though. 
Well, I, I, I look to something like the Lego movie, which is just gorgeously rendered and designed, and something like 22 Jump Street, where even though the action elements of that movie are not at the forefront, they seem pretty capable at doing that. Um, so as far as imagination and as far as action, I, I, I have no reason to think they can't do it because they've proven, even though it's not, their, uh, it's not what's at the forefront of their work, that they can. No, I totally agree. And and again, I think that we as lifetime fans of Star Wars and and big fans of what they have done, we have to give them and and Disney and Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy, Lawrence and Jake Kasdan, we have to give them all the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Because again, they have earned it and we have to just assume that we're going to get a good movie from them no matter what. But with respect to Miles Teller and Scott Eastwood and Chris Pratt, even, who, who look, let's be honest, likely will not play a young Han Solo no. at this point because he plays Diet Han Solo in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> With respect to all of those guys, it's just, I just have trouble picturing finding the right guy for this role after what we've seen in that we've gotten three great Han Solo movies up to this point with Harrison Ford and probably a fourth one, I'm, we're hoping anyway. I, I wish them luck, and I have faith, but I'll be shocked if they really pull it off in terms of the casting. You just put that dude from The Fault in Our Stars in a black vest oh and a white god. shirt, and you're, you're in business, baby. Oh my god. We have to move on now. We've been pre-booking tickets for months. The park needs a new attraction every few years in order to reinvigorate the public's interest, kind of like the space program. Corporate felt genetic modification would up the wow factor. They're dinosaurs. Wow enough. Not according to our focus groups. The Indominus Rex makes us relevant again. The Indominus Rex. We needed something scary and easy to pronounce. You should hear a four-year-old try to say Archaeornithomimus. We should hear you try to say it. Let's move on to this this summer section that we're really here to talk about. We've seen some movies, and, and we left off with sort of the, the early to midpoint of June and right before the release of Jurassic World. And some time has passed, so while this movie is still making a ton of money and secured the all-time highest opening weekend gross in, in domestic history and is climbing the charts of all-time, I personally am sort of so-so on Jurassic World. I thought it was just okay. I, I, I still think it ranks below, say, Jurassic World, Jurassic Park 3. I think that's a more fun and probably a better movie even. Yet, people are filing into theaters and making history with this as opposed to some other films that are superior to this movie this summer and have been superior leading up to it that made much less noise at the box office. So we can factor in what we think about this movie critically, but why do you think this movie is making so much money, Corey? Uh, it hit the right nostalgia buttons at the right time. Uh, it's been just long enough since one of these movies. People, you know, a whole generation has grown up in the shadow of Steven Spielberg's original Jurassic Park from 1993 uh, and regard that movie, rightly or not, as something of a classic. Uh, I, I think you and I both agree that Jurassic Park is very, very good. Uh, enough time has passed so that uh, not only are people who saw Jurassic Park in a theater as children now having children of their own uh, and raising them on at least the original Jurassic Park, but, but Jurassic World very smartly not only plays off the iconography of that original movie, but presents in its central scenario, you know, the, the ultimate what if, which is, well, okay, so in Jurassic Park, they build this nice park, but it never opens. What if it opens? What if people actually get to interact with dinosaurs? What if guests come and, and you know, ride little dinosaurs in a petting zoo and, and you know, take selfies next to T-Rexes and, I don't know, whatever the hell else happens in that movie, uh, which I saw about three weeks ago, and have almost completely forgotten so you can tell that it really left an impression on me. I, there's just something about it, though. It, it, it's almost like the right movie at the right moment. 
uh, 22 years after the original, about, what, 14 since Jurassic Park 3. People love their dinosaur rampages, and no matter how generic <laughs> Jurassic World is in presentation, it hit the spot. Yeah, and there are definitely moments in that movie that, that are fun and, and slightly memorable. I think that the biggest impression, though, that it left on me and something that I'm going to remember about this summer forever and about that movie is the moment when John Williams' famous theme from the original Jurassic Park finally kicks in. It's God. something that that I was personally waiting for to see how they used it, how they were going to recapture that magic, that, that nostalgia, which this movie really clings to throughout the entire thing. But the moment that they choose to reveal that is just so disappointing and bland and depressing that it, that to me was reflective of the entire experience and that it was just a big swing and kind of a miss it, kind of a foul tip i'll say it was a completely fumbled moment for yeah. me you know it, it it kicks in near the very beginning of the movie when these two young kids a teenager and his younger brother that we follow for some reason through most of this movie are riding this monorail to the park and then, you know, the, the, this grand theme, which I think we first hear in the first film when uh, the first time we hear it is like when they see the brontosaurus. It's when you see the first yeah, dinosaurs of the movie. Uh, which is genuinely uh, an awe-inspiring moment, even today, when yeah. those dinosaurs, you know, the special effects have not held up tremendously well. They still look fine, uh, but, but, you know, by modern standards, it's... Not much better than fine, but but there's still something about that moment, thanks to Spielberg, thanks to Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Richard Attenborough, that that still makes that awe. Uh, you know, it comes through yeah. to to modern viewers. There is nothing, there is no moment in Jurassic World that has that same feeling of awe of like this is actually something that you should be impressed by these dinosaurs and and honestly i mean maybe it's not fair to say well colin trevorrow this young director with only two feature films under his belt is no steven spielberg right well that's something no. we knew going into yeah, it. Yeah, I know who is steven right. spielberg they're they're very he's probably the best living filmmaker at creating individual awe-inspiring moments in the cinema or just the best living filmmaker yeah i yeah i wouldn't argue that i'm with you for sure and and i think i probably maybe liked it a little bit better than you i think maybe, you did maybe not by much though and and i agree i mean the conclusion that you do come to is that colin trevorrow is no steven spielberg but you have to be fair in that again we knew that going into this, this was not going to be a Steven Spielberg film, and we were just going to have to see what Trevorrow had up his sleeve. I am on the side of this original film is a classic. It's better than very, very good. It's one of Steven Spielberg's best movies. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go Give that far. Give me a break, Corey. Come on. This is this is ridiculous It's here. very good. So uh, the problem, the biggest problem that I have, other than this, the specific scene that I, that I mentioned there, is that this movie spends way too much time paying respect to the original 1993 movie instead of being its own movie. And I think you have to look to the Planet of the Apes franchise yeah. as an indicator of what you can do while paying respect to these original films in this franchise while making something totally new and different and, and fresh and even original. Now, they did it. Rupert Wyatt did an extremely good job, obviously, with that first movie, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. But they just took it to a different level with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and made one of the best summer blockbusters in recent memory. That is the opportunity. We had reached the point, 20-something years later, that someone could have done with the Jurassic Park franchise. Fans were owed that at this point, and the franchise was owed that after two movies that were disappointing in the eyes of most fans mm -hmm. so many years later a filmmaker like Colin Trevorrow or whoever takes over I hope it's somebody else who takes over in the future with this franchise that will exist for many years to come because of the box office that it has generated they crank out one every two or three years now now is the time for them to step in and do something great and there is still potential for them to do that well going back to you know Colin Trevorrow is no Steven Spielberg but a lot of filmmakers who are not Steven Spielberg still manage to 
you know, conduct scenes with energy behind them, uh, compose sequences that are logical, that flow from one to another in a way that makes sense, that basically construct a watchable blockbuster. And honestly, I, I really didn't like Jurassic World. I don't think Jurassic World is that. Jurassic World is kind of a logical uh, mishmash from, from start to finish. Uh, and, and not only in the way it's composed, not only in the way it's brought to uh, the screen and visualized, but, but in its performances, which are uh, flat at best, and in its screenplay, which combines a whole lot of half-baked uh, elements that I'm sure somebody thought at some point were cool, like the military and dinosaurs and all of this Oh, nonsense that just doesn't add up and, and doesn't go anywhere. I mean, this plot, such as it is, is filled with one dead end after another, and, and these characters don't go anywhere, and, and it just ends up feeling like the worst kind of derivative fan service. Like you said, it exists solely to uh, make you think about at least one other much better movie. Yeah, the whole thing is, isn't Jurassic Park great? And I mean, the, you have characters in this movie who say, isn't Jurassic yeah, Park great? Yeah, there are these weird, like, meta moments, especially with the Jake Johnson character, who an actor who deserves so much better and than he's what fine he got. With the, I didn't like him. I didn't like that character at all. He was kind of the one thing that I had to latch on to. Didn't, yeah, it didn't do it for me. I wish they had just said that he was, like, Dennis Nedry's nephew or something and, and got it well over have. with. Yeah, but... I, I want to stick with the characters because they're so paper thin in this movie. And it's something about the Jurassic Park, the original film that just separates itself mm -hmm. from this entire franchise. There's a criticism that a really, I think baseless criticism that people have about that movie, that the dinosaurs are so much more interesting than the human character. What Jurassic Park, Yeah, Jurassic Park. And, and let, let's talk about the difference between that and this, in that I knew Alan Grant's name at the end of seeing yeah. that movie. I can't, tell you right now what Chris Pratt's character's name is in Jurassic World. I knew Ellie. I knew Ian Malcolm. I knew Tim and Lex. I don't know those kids' names no, in I don't Jurassic either. World. They and uh, The little one was okay. The kid from Iron Man, he wasn't bad. The old one, the whole time was just like, oh, Mom, leave me alone. Dinosaurs are stupid. He really didn't want to be there, and I increasingly felt the same as he did. Yeah, I was like, okay, Indominus Rex, as kind of lame as you are, murder this so kid lame. right now, seriously. And, and again, I think uh, a, a strong, you know, at least they, by the end of this, with the entire message being the original is so much better than whatever we're going to get in the future, including this movie, we'll admit, Jurassic Park had a really troubling moment where the this brand new dinosaur, like the Indominus Rex, the Spinosaurus, right. gets into a fight with the Tyrannosaurus Rex and kills the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And the movie thinks that it's making this statement that we've built a bigger and badder and better dinosaur here, even better than the T-Rex. And it, did, it just felt wrong and off. At least this time, they give the T-Rex its due, right? But... At too little, too late. Yeah, at the same time, they introduce what is supposedly this bigger, better genetic hybrid that completely falls flat to me. And again, it's just another piece of this bland monstrosity. It's a movie that hates itself. It's weird. <laughs> it is. It kind of is because all, all it can do is say how much better another movie is it, than it. It comes in and it's like, I'm, I'm sorry in advance. Yeah. I'm sorry about all of this. Uh, but it also, I mean, it has this weird, like, audience-hating thing, too. Like, if people didn't insist that dinosaurs were boring now, we would never have had to create this uh, genetically engineered monstrosity. So this is for all you mouth breathers out in the audience who insisted we make this. Because right. here it is. Enjoy it. It's it's going to kill all these people. Uh, eat it up. People have eaten it up. It up. I yeah. don't and, and look, I'm okay with more Jurassic Park movies, personally. And if we're they go get, toward, gonna... like, the government-engineered army dinosaur yeah. nonsense, you can keep it, man. Well, I don't honestly, want that. Honestly, as I was watching this movie, I thought, you know what? That's actually more interesting than what's going on right now. As stupid as it could get, go the Jurassic Park 3 route and just have fun. Have fun dinosaur action. Don't try to be Jurassic Park because you know and have said all along that you're not that. So just yeah. be the other thing where a guy is training raptors and you want to strap machine guns to raptors' heads. And let's be that dinosaur movie from now on. That plot makes so little sense, though. Yeah. Vincent well, D'Onofrio is like, in this age, we got to 
send raptors down into caves to whatever the hell you say. It's the stupidest <laughs> thing. I was just rolling poor, my eyes the whole time. He's terrible in this well, movie. He, you know, he's 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 doing stuff, I guess. I don't know. But he's terrible. I, look, I feel more positive about this movie than I think I'm letting on because, it, you know, it's there and it has created opportunities for, I think, better filmmakers more suited for this franchise to do something meaningful with it. And I think that's going to happen. I really do. I really do. First day of school, very, very exciting. I was up late last night figuring out a new plan. Here it is, fear. I need a list of all the possible negative outcomes on the first day at a new school. Way ahead of you there. Does anyone know how to spell meteor? Disgust. Make sure Riley stands out today, but also blends in. When I'm through, Riley will look so good, the other kids will look at their own outfits and barf. Joy. Yes, Joy? You'll be in charge of the console, keeping Riley happy all day long. And may I add, I love your dress, it's adorable. Oh, this old thing? Thank you so much. I love the way it twirls. Train of thought, right on schedule. Anger, unload the daydreams. I ordered extra in case things get slow in class. Might come in handy if this new school is full of boring, useless classes, which it probably will be. Oh, sadness. I have a super important job just for you. Really? Mm-hmm. Follow me. And there. Perfect. This is the circle of sadness. Your job is to make sure that all the sadness stays inside of it. Now, I think we should move on to something I think we mutually feel much better about. Yeah. A movie that came out a couple of weeks later. The latest from Pixar. And Corey, infamously now, on this show, a past episode of this show, you totally just crapped on Pixar and, and what was to come on this assembly line of sequels and prequels and pre-existing I don't, properties I don't, I think within you're overstating the studio it a little. and you had zero faith in what they had to offer and just sort of you know, assume that they would just piddle about and and be just another studio. Who I'm had, gonna have to hear the tapes on this. Sure, I, you can go back and look. I, I will. They I may will. or may not have been erased. So, <laughs> this new movie, Inside Out, has come out. It's the latest from Pete Doctor, and a lot has already been said about it. You know what it is. You've probably seen it, if not multiple times. Corey, Ben Stark, and Matt Scalici, two friends to this show and part of the the Film Nerds Unlimited universe, there have on the record shortly after seeing this movie said that Inside Out is now their favorite Pixar movie. After seeing it one time, they knew that not only was this special and different and wholly original, this is the best that Pixar, the studio responsible for Toy Story and Ratatouille, Monsters, Inc., WALL-E, and Finding Nemo and The Incredibles, this is better than that. And I, I just found that unbelievable. I think... Upon seeing it, I knew that it was upper echelon elite Pixar. Mm -hmm. I don't know, after seeing it one time in a theater full of young children who were kind of distracting, I'll be honest, but look, it's a Pixar movie, and that's okay. Yeah, it's, it's made for children. Right now, I put it below what I think are a pretty solid top four Pixar that I have, but I've only seen it one time, and that can change at an instant. The more I think about it, the better it gets. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with them? Where does it rank in your Pixar rank? I almost agree with them. It ranks number two for me. I've seen it twice now, and uh, I feel comfortable putting it right below uh, Ratatouille. Ratatouille is my favorite because I'm a hipster. I don't know what else to say. It's a special movie. It, it really is. It's great. Um, uh, and I feel comfortable saying that Inside Out, after two viewings, um, is almost that good. Almost as good as my absolute favorite Pixar movie. Better than the others and considering the others feature all those movies you just mentioned like up and wally and and the toy story movies and finding nemo and all these other great movies that i love very very much uh that's high praise um this is this is a special movie this 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 film inside out is truly great um and and you you know it almost from the beginning where you have these these strains of, of a, another great score from Michael Giacchino. Oh, man. He, uh, he brings it. Uh, he does. And that's another guy I've sort of put on blast this year because I thought his work in Tomorrowland and Jurassic World was pretty disappointing. No. Yeah, but. that's that's the response I've gotten from everybody else. I brought that up, and they're just like, "No, you're wrong. Move on." Yeah, he did his job, but uh, but but uh, you know, great in in Inside Out, and you you have the movie begin, 
at the birth of of its central character, uh, Riley, this young girl. Uh, and as her consciousness sort of develops, the first emotion uh, that we see inside her head at the, at the control center, Joy, uh, pops up. Uh, and, and they have this uh, very simple control center that's just one button at first, and Joy presses it, and the little girl laughs. And from there, you know, like, wow, okay, this is going to go uh, all the way. And, and it does. I mean, it, it's really, really exceptional, especially as, you know, we check back in with Riley is, and, and, and everything happens when she's, what, 11? Um, and she has five emotions and a slightly more complicated control board in her control center that just keeps getting more and more complicated. Uh, and uh, a crisis that, that comprises uh, the story where, where joy and sadness sort of get sent on this epic of adventure just as Riley, uh, the young girl, is uh, undergoing a personal crisis of her own. Uh, her family has moved. She's, she's uprooted. She's lost everything that she's grown up with, that she's used to. The whole thing is, is you know, a metaphor, but it's a brilliantly executed metaphor in the way that only Pixar can do. They get the psychology of not only you know what it means to be a kid but what it means to be an adult who looks back with some fondness and melancholy on those tumultuous years of growing up yeah and th there was a conversation that i had recently with matt scalici about whether or not pixar movies are really for kids anymore at least primarily and that was after watching inside out and and the high minded concepts that Pete Doctor and this incredible team of animators and, and, and crew that made this movie brought to the table. I mean, you're talking about very complicated stuff that will go over the heads of children that are watching this movie. I, I think that this movie is primarily for adults. This is really maybe along with Ratatouille, mm -hmm. maybe Up and, and Wally deal with adult themes, but I think that they, they can be appreciated by children on a very, you know, base level. This at first, as I was watching it, and after after I saw it for the first time, I thought this is for this is a movie by adults for adults. But before I saw Inside Out, I revisited Up, mm -hmm. Pete Doctor's previous film, and it really went over well. The the second that was my really the second time. Oh I really? It. Yeah, and I re I love I I really liked Up the first time I saw it. I really loved Up the second time I saw it. And it really, this, that movie and this movie, and obviously the common denominator being Pete Doctor, showed me just how much of a special connection Pixar can make simultaneously with adults and children. Mm. Up is a movie that has very serious themes in grief, loss, aging, broken dreams. These are things that apply to adults and the adult characters in the movie. But you also have the Russell character, obviously, who's fantastic, who is dealing with divorce, mm -hmm. an absent father. These are very serious themes, too, that adults understand. But this, these are things that children deal with every day. And it might just be certain children, but you have people who don't deal with it directly who have friends who go through it. And they are things that make total sense to kids who who feel the same way. Inside Out's the exact same way. Yeah. Uh, you know, Up also has talking dogs and silly birds. Right. Uh, so even if a kid does not grasp everything that that movie's doing, yeah. and it is absolutely doing everything that you say, they have something, you know. Right. Even if they, you know, I, I think Up is is that the movie that's commonly used as the example where you know kid sitting next to a parent looks at the parent the parents crying their eyes out well and and the kid is you know just like well dog colors right uh, right, right balloons you know, yeah, yeah and I, I think Inside Out's much the same way yeah there's know? there's a reason that the emotions are different bright colors right you know um and and the adventure that that joy and sadness go on uh, filled with just all these various little. Uh, Amusement park style yeah. uh, situations. Lots of physical comedy. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, Inside Out is fun. Yeah, you know, it's it's and it's very funny, and it's very funny in a way that is that is clever enough for an adult to appreciate, but it's also not going to completely go over the heads of a child. Now, now I agree uh, that that Up and Inside Out and a lot of Pixar stuff ultimately, um, as a child grows up with these movies, they're going to see more. Oh in yeah, it, as you, they revisit. Yeah, like in Inside Out, like abstract thought. Yeah, like subconscious, like train of thought. 
all of these emotions, right? right? All of these things. And but I mean, that's been the nature of Pixar since Toy Story. Sure. And it's been the nature of Disney movies, yeah. even you know Disney animated movies. It's just what happens. I mean, again, these are adults who are making these movies, so mm-hmm. they're going to put things in there for adults no matter what because they know they're the ones who are going to need to be paying their dollars for the ticket, right? So let's entertain them too. And and I you know. It, it, it's it kind of makes you feel like a kid again at the same time watching a Pixar movie while you, you I mean obviously you appreciate what Pixar does and Pete Doctor specifically is doing for adults too there are concepts in this movie that I never thought I would see in movies right, right? and I, I think you go straight to that abstract thought thing for yeah a which is amazing yeah it's it's unbelievable and, and, and it's beautiful and and then have you seen it by the way okay it's hard to talk about this because there's a character in the movie yeah. I did not know existed. Sort of hidden from it. the marketing. Yeah, and and I'd love to say, okay, well, I, I don't want to spoil this for you, Andrew, since you're in the room here. Corey knows what I'm talking about, but the character has a name mm-hmm. that is not to be taken seriously when said aloud, right? But when there's something that happens, and there's no, it's no spoiler to say that Inside Out gets emotional, right? Pretty much from As the you'd opening expect. shot, from the opening notes of the Michael Giacchino music that yeah. you mentioned. But there's a moment that happens with this character where you're already hearing, you can hear eyes welling up. You don't have to imagine that. And you yeah. can hear people saying this character's name out loud as it's happening. And it becomes, honestly, probably the, the it strikes, strikes the biggest emotional chord of the entire movie. And the fact that Pixar can use these two words to create such an amazing emotional connection with people is just, it shows the, you know, the, the majesty at work there from the studio. It's a universal concept. I, I think that we all, uh, that character plugs into exactly what I mentioned earlier, this sort of melancholy of growing up. Uh, and and uh, we all sort of go back to moments like that, to, to things that we had as children that were special, uh, that that by growing up, uh, we by necessity lose. Um, and, and, and sort of the complexity of growing up. For me, the, the, the uh, most potent emotional moment in Inside Out is this, this very simple climax where um, Riley and, and these characters inside her head uh, come to embrace the complexity of, of, of the world and of dealing with with issues that you you encounter and and for me there's something so profound so simple and yet so profound in in that climactic moment that that really spoke to me that really got me yeah and and you know the movie speaks to all, all ages because again I go back to that conversation that I had with Matt Scalici he is he has a seven-year-old daughter that he <laughs> took to the movie and it, you know is is you know almost half the age of the central character mm-hmm. Riley here and a question that she asked Matt after they saw it was do the emotions inside Riley's head have their own emotions <laughs> in their own head and I just thought that was such a great question yeah. that an adult or a child could have asked after watching that movie but it's just another reflection of how Pixar connects with children and how they will continue to do that 15 films into their run since 1995 and and you know considering 15 films in they've made one of their very best works yeah you know yeah I'll I'll, I'll fully say you know whatever nonsense I was saying about the Pixar <laughs> studio um uh, after Brave and Monsters University, okay, um, I'm I'm back on board. Okay. I will say that that Inside Out also features uh, one uh, the best cat joke ever <laughs> put to film. Um, yeah, near the end of the credits, they're they're stick around for the first part of the credits, uh, and two has one of the most, and I don't know how controversial this is, but I'll go there. Has one of the most insufferable shorts in front of it. Yeah, you know, it's I, bad. I get that. I definitely get that. But by the end, of, you're talking about this short called Lava yeah. that precedes it. And and short Pixar shorts are something that I think we all anticipate a great deal when we go see a sure. new Pixar movie. And that was no different this time. And as I was watching it, I thought, this is a disappointment. <laughs> but then by the end of it, I thought, you know what? It's sweet enough. I, you know, it, it, I think that it, it ends up making people happy, even though as you're watching it, a Pixar is not a Pixar movie is the antithesis of this, but it kind of feels like it's making it up as it goes along. I know? wanted it to stop. Yeah, well, it did shortly after it started. Not, so. not soon enough. Yeah, but I think that Inside Out is probably along with 
Mad Max Fury Road and Avengers Age of Ultron, why not? They're going to be the ones that you will regret missing on the big screen if, in fact, you <clears> missed <throat> them on the big screen. So, Andrew, I know you're a busy man and a family man, but get on seeing Inside Out. It's remarkable. I look at each of you, and I see the marks of this long and terrible war. We fight! For our children! Our children's children, so they will not carry these marks! But they will know who we are and what we did. That we did not bow down! We did not give in! We rose up at this moment! At this hour! Willing to sacrifice everything! So that they can live in freedom. And this night, we take back our world. So another one that we've both seen, a big movie, a sequel, the fifth in a franchise at this point, which hurts my head thinking about. And honestly, when I heard the title and saw how it was spelled, it hurt my head even more. Talking about Terminator Genesis. So real quick, you mentioned that Jurassic World is too slavish- uh, in its uh, sort of respect to Jurassic Park. You know, it doesn't do its own thing. It's too indebted to what has come before. Terminator Genesis is the poster child of being uh, too uh, referential, especially in its first half. Its second half, it goes somewhere different that's also stupid. But first half... It basically revisits Terminator and elements of Terminator 2 while also being stupid. Oh, it's all very stupid. It's it's remarkable how stupid it is. But that being said, yeah, here's, here's what I'll say about that. I actually kind of would go the other way on that in that I think that this movie takes the heart of the James Cameron Terminator mythology and throws it on the ground, stomps all over it, <laughs> and then picks it back up and says... This is kind of a heart still, even though it's just a bloody mess with ventricles and, and stuff like that, because it just turns it all into a huge mess. And and look, I don't like Rise of the Machines. I don't like Terminator Salvation. They're they're not good. No, they're not. And they, they messed with what Cameron did before mm-hmm. it. But I would rank this ahead of those. I would, and I don't know that that's really saying much about how I feel about this movie because I, I think it is also, yes, a huge mess and often, quite often, very dumb, and I don't particularly care for Jai Courtney in anything unless no. you know you want to watch Wallpaper blink every once in a while. But, I, you know, there's something about this movie, Corey, that this is high praise here. I didn't mind... And that's about all I can say about it. I don't mind it. It's 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 almost engineered to be completely bland, like and to, to completely leave no impression on the viewer. Which itself, I mean, coming off of those great first two films by James Cameron, is almost the worst thing you can say about it. Somebody made a Terminator movie that is essentially, oh, we got to use this uh, this uh, brand. Or else we're going to lose the rights to it. That's the best thing you can say about it. We're going to get Arnold back. He's going to play an old version of the the robot. Arnold the, might have been the best part about this movie, though. He didn't make any... Well, he doesn't do... There are some things that are really stupid that he does and that he's a big part of yeah. that Rise of the Machines was was guilty of. The talk to the hand thing. Oh, there are God. some moments kind of oh, like no, no, that. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, like, oh, that involved oh, like smiling, oh. you know, that reference a deleted scene that was rightfully deleted from Terminator 2 where yeah. he smiles for the yeah. first time. And it's awful, and it just makes you wish, or it makes you feel like you've you've made a bad choice. Here, I right? felt like that pretty much throughout. And but you know what? I just kind of sat there and I guess went with it. And it was nice to see Arnold in something where he he I don't know functioned in in you know whatever plot that this movie insists exists within itself. But I don't know. Like I thought that there was actually some pretty well staged action. In this movie, I thought that some of the time travel elements were kind of fun, but 
I'll be honest with you. There, there's something that really bothers me about this series now generally is in the first two movies, there are glimpses of the future mm-hmm. in the machine wars in adult John Connor. But for the most part, we don't see any of it. And all we do is hear Kyle Reese played by Michael Bean in the first movie and Linda Hamilton uh, in the second movie talk about those things and tell those stories and force us, the audience, to use our imaginations on what it must be like in the future. The problem that I have with these last three movies is it insists on showing us all of that James Cameron wanted us to imagine, and they fail. Every time they show it, it's just like, oh, that's it? Yeah. Oh. That's like, disappointing. Like, I mean, that's the entirety of Terminator Salvation. There's a, there's a reason he didn't show it in those right. movies, right? Yeah, Terminator Salvation is is certainly worse than than Genesis. But Genesis, oh, okay. Apart from it not making a single bit of sense, yeah. apart from it legitimately withholding information that would have maybe made it a little, you know, make a little bit more sense for like parts two and three of this new trilogy that they're hoping to launch or whatever, such as. Uh, semi-spoiler, not really, why the timeline in 1984 is altered in any way, which is sort of the central conceit of the movie. Yeah, it makes no sense. It it absolutely makes no sense. Um, Apart from all of that, I don't find the action particularly interesting or well-staged. It's sort of generic blockbuster 101 like uh the, the director is alan taylor who who cut his teeth on episodes of game of thrones which is which is fine uh and thor the dark world which is generally respectable i like not. thor the dark world. I, I like it yeah. too but it's it's not the most remarkable bit of filmmaking like visual filmmaking ever and terminator genesis feels like a step backwards from that visually it's it's so uncompelling uh, and and it, what what does not aid it in the, in the slightest is that the performances are almost uniformly bad. Yeah. Okay. Here here's a big problem that I have. There are talented people in this. Yeah, movie. that's the thing. Jason Clark is great. And and was, sure was was Dawn great. of the Planet of the Apes yeah, Zero, Dark, Zero 30. Dark Thirty. Yeah, he's fantastic, and he he still has a bright future. It, remind me of her name, uh, Amelia, Amelia Clark. Amel- Amelia Clark, God love her on Game of Thrones. Yeah. She's the best part of that show. And and again, has a bright future. She is severely miscast as Sarah Connor. Well, it's a it's, a it's a Linda Hamilton impression. She's not doing anything with it. And she doesn't have anything to do. Another thing that bugs me is that this movie takes sort of the badass agency of warrior Sarah Connor. Yeah. And has her do very little with it. Right. The second half of the movie is just her running from things. Yeah, she kind of turns into a bit of a damsel in distress. And it's 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 infuriating. She holds a gun and she shoots some stuff, you know, fairly early in the movie. And, and you know. Great. Yeah, whatever. But she doesn't, like, and this is with respect to Amelia Clark, who, who again, I think is great. She doesn't have the physicality no, she doesn't. of Linda Hamilton. She doesn't have the severe sort of screen presence right. of Linda Hamilton. I mean, that's just really weird casting. Yeah. You know, I will say this. Jai Courtney is largely very bad. Obviously, Die Hard 5, terrible. Yeah. He's in those divergent movies. He's terrible in those. This is the least that I've disliked him. <laughs> this is him, his best performance. But he's still very bad in it. Yeah, well, uh, you know what? If we're going to if we're going to start categorizing here and ranking, I think this is the best thing Arnold has done since he returned to movies. Oh, I don't. Oh, okay, if our bar here is the last stand, I like which, the last stand a lot more than this. Oh, I don't know, man. And I Escape Plan is kind of bad. Sabotage Sabotage is awful. Yeah, so but I mean, Escape Plan is is stupid in a fun way, unlike this, which yeah. is stupid in a frustrating. I can't believe they spent money on this sort of way. Yeah, I, the biggest frustration I have with this is that they should we they had to stop after Terminator Two, just narratively, right? Right. I mean, there's nowhere there to go. No, yeah, and they, that, that's kind of a, a choice that Cameron made. It's like there is nowhere to go, but that's not how the studio system works anymore. No. That's just what we're going to get more of these movies, no matter what, and this is going to be the result. And I, again, Alan Taylor has done fine, but as soon as I heard he was on board, I thought. I don't, I don't know how how bland and how generic is the second half of this movie in this uh, again semi spoiler alert it doesn't take place in 1984 
uh, for reasons that boggle the mind narratively that don't make logical sense. Right. Um, but it, it takes place in a in a near future uh, that is, again, pretty much as generic as it gets. Yeah. Down to its typical like action movie San Francisco setting, which we've seen a million times in the last few years. And it's by now... Uh, standard Terminator movie climax set inside a factory of some sort. Uh, but this is like a computer factory with computer things. And, and oh, my God, oh, I, I can't even get into so many of the things that frustrated me about the end of this movie for the fact that there might be someone listening to this who doesn't want it spoiled, but rest assured that everything it can do to go out of its way to irritate you in regards to... Uh, I mean, this is no spoiler. Skynet's involved, but how Skynet is represented, right? And uh, a twist regarding one of the characters that's totally been given away in the marketing, but I'm not going to give it away here. Sure. Um, it's about as, as as unbelievably irritating as it gets. And and again, going back to that fan service uh, that we talked about with with Jurassic World, there's a sequence about I don't know halfway through this movie where again this twist with this character happens where this character basically repeats Kyle Reese's monologue from the first movie yeah about the, how the Terminator cannot be reasoned with it cannot be stopped etc cetera, etc cetera. and it is the most like cringe inducing thing I've seen since the stupid stupid Spock Kirk reversal at the end of oh, Star Trek in the Darkness I know that's a popular movie around here but I'll uh, give you the flares in Jurassic World but yeah, yeah. Uh, it just it got under my skin. The worst, I think, the worst culprit here, and I don't mind giving this away. There is a there is a out of the blue reference to the show Cops in this movie. Yeah, Ugh. that blew me away as I was watching it. Yeah. Where it's just like, all right, we've done all this. It can't possibly like the bad stuff in it can't possibly get worse. That's a joke that would have fit in Terminator 2 yeah. at the time. Yeah. It's That's a mid 90s reference. It's it's unbelievably yeah. stupid. Yeah, it's really stupid. And what is <sighs> what is JK Simmons doing in this? Like what why? Just uh, making uh, that money. I guess. But it's just like what a what a useless stuffed in just extra character it has no bearing on anything to you know let's get a guy who just won an oscar and is hosted saturday night live and whose name is you know maybe trending on twitter you know one night <laughs> let's get him in the movie because and let's just create a character that serves zero purpose it doesn't make a whole lot of narrative sense but then again that makes zero not nothing in this movie does i mean it has the t1000 in the first half of the movie and then he just kind of goes away bye so Corey. Before we wrap up here on on the second part of summer here, I, I've seen Ted Two, the Seth MacFarlane movie, which which I think most people would agree is probably a little bit better than A Million Ways to Die in the West. It has enough jokes to sort of run its course and survive. It's a pretty funny movie. It's not as good as the first film, but the one really positive thing I can say about it as it relates to what we've discussed here, Ted Two pays better tribute to Jurassic Park <laughs> then Jurassic World pays to Jurassic Park and that's all I will leave you with about Ted 2. I'll take your word for it but that's a pretty low bar to clear. It is for sure and I, that's the that's the point, right? That you know, you had one job and Ted 2 beat you to it. So we neither of us have seen Magic Mike XXL. Did you see Dope? I have not seen Dope. Okay. Um that's not for, for lack of desire. I want to see both of those. By this point, it doesn't look like I'll get around to dope until Blu-ray, because uh, it's losing screens. Thank you for the coffee, ma'am. It's not too often that you rob a place and they get welcomed back, because I mean, we just robbed you. You know that he was arrested for stealing a smoothie machine, right? Two smoothie machines. Are you sure they can handle this? Oh, we can handle it. We're professionals. You'll forgive us if we're not instilled with confidence. Well, hey, everybody, just kick back and relax a little bit, man. We know our business. We broke into this spooky-ass house, didn't we? I let you. Well, one could say that I let you let me. Look, it's okay. They can handle this. Yeah, we can handle it. You got their credentials? He's in the system. I'm in the system. I'm in the system. The system? Yeah. We're doomed. So coming up, 
for the rest of the summer, and we will definitely tackle these in the very near future. Minions opens this week. I'll probably see it. Selfless opens. I'll probably see it uh, less enthusiastically. Ant-Man, I think we'll both see. Oh, yeah. Also in Birmingham, uh, confirmed opening on Friday is Amy, the Amy Winehouse documentary from sure. A24. I'm looking, in, I'm looking forward to that. It's from the director of Senna, which is great. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, one of my most anticipated of the summer. All sure. about it. Trainwreck, the new Judd Apatow movie, is coming out. Pixels, the first Adam Sandler movie that looks halfway decent in recent memory. Looks kind of fun, I uh, think. You can keep it. Oh, okay. Well, probably. Fantastic Four, I feel that way about Fantastic Four. Yeah, I, I also feel that way about Fantastic Four. Man, Man from Uncle, the new Guy Ritchie movie with Superman as not Superman. And uh, Army Hammer is one person. <laughs> True. <laughs> Uh, Ricky and the Flash, the new Jonathan Demme movie with Meryl Streep. I love Jonathan Demme so much, and this trailer makes me so scared. Yeah, yeah I don't know, but we'll, we'll give it the benefit of the doubt. And, and what I think, uh, when I was sitting in the theater for Terminator Genesis mm-hmm. this week, one of the best made trailers of the year so far is for Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, man, I think that's going to be a surprise. I hope so, because it like the trailer sells that thing, mm-hmm. and I think it looks really good. I'm pulling for it. I'm into it. So that does it for the summer, and, and we'll get back to you on those. Before we go, Corey, you wanted to talk a little bit about the Sidewalk Film Festival, which has been generating some news. Sure. Some, some movies have been announced, and for transparency's sake, we should acknowledge that you will be a part of of sidewalk in a programming capacity. Yeah, I'm on staff this year as as a short film co-programmer, um, which has been a fun process. Started back at the beginning of the year and and have watched a ton of short films, a record number of submissions this year. So uh, I'm really proud of the selection of short films that we've got. Um, but I, much like you guys, am not privy to the feature film selections. Uh, I'm sort of learning all of this as it comes out and. Um, over the past few weeks, we've slowly started releasing some of the titles uh, that we'll be screening at the festival, including a few films that I've already had the privilege of seeing, uh, including uh, The Wolf Pack, the documentary that made a lot of waves at Sundance uh, this year, uh, and which I talked about with your brother, Graham. We, we saw it together on my recent visit to New York. Uh, we, t- we had a conversation about it on Film Nerds Unlimited. Uh, and also a documentary I saw at the Nashville Film Festival, which I think I've already mentioned on this show, uh, Welcome to Leith, yep. will be playing at um, at Sidewalk. Along with those, there are a number of other uh, titles that have been recently announced, uh, including uh, The Tribe, which is this film told entirely through unsubtitled sign language, uh, which looks really fascinating. I hear great things about it. Um, and then the opening night selection uh which is really exciting uh raiders which is a documentary about uh the young men who uh as kids saw raiders of the lost ark and wanted to make movies and decided that their way to do that would be to make a shot for shot remake of raiders of the lost ark um with a process that took uh by all accounts years and years uh, and which they didn't complete until very recently, which the documentary uh, depicts. Um, you can see trailers for all of these things, uh, a lot of films that I haven't mentioned, uh, on the Sidewalk website, sidewalkfest.com. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be releasing more and more titles, um, like something like 45 more still to come uh, that I don't even know about. So <laughs> keep an eye out. Uh, the schedule will be, I think, complete near the end of July. Yeah, you're on a need-to-know basis, Corey, and you don't need to know. Yeah, it, it must be uh, my massive media outlets access. Yes, I think probably. So we'll, we'll definitely look forward to those. It's always a fantastic festival, so check it out, sidewalkfest.com. And that movie, Raiders, it kind of sounds like a kindred spirit to the wolf pack in a way. In a way. Yeah, in yeah. a way. And, uh, yeah, definitely encourage people to check out Corey and Graham's conversation on the wolf pack. It's a spoiler-heavy review of that I mean, if you can spoil the documentary, so, yeah, I don't it, think it's that bad. You're not going to miss it. It no. looks really good. And, and, and go to film, filmnerds.com and check out all the latest from the podcast Film Nerds Unlimited. Still 
churning them out at a nice clip mm-hmm. lately, talking about Inside Out and Pixar in general. We talk about the Han Solo thing, the Wolf Pack. So there's a lot going on with film nerds. Do you guys do a James Horner conversation? Yes, we did. And, and that's something that we should just mention here, that James Horner was a great composer, and I hate to use that in a past tense. I know. That was, uh, a, that was a real blow. Yeah, the news that James Horner passed away was killed in a airplane crash it's extremely sad and obviously the man and 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 relative will be missed and loved one will be missed but to to us he was a great film composer and uh he he just was a transcendent talent and created some of the all-time great movie themes and and yes graham and i actually talked about james horner so people should go check that out for sure we talk about some of his best work so rest in peace james horner Check out Corey's stuff, movie reviews, and whatnot at artsbham.com. Check out my stuff at al.com. Find us on iTunes, aspectradioshow.com, Twitter and Facebook at Aspect Radio. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew Richardson. And until next week, I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. This has been Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.